Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. We're going to continue without further ado into the teaching of tonight. It's titled Homecoming Gifts Part 2. And for those of you who have been with us from the beginning of the series till now, you guys are simply amazing. Thank you so much for following through. And my honest prayer is that we're not just listening to these things and forget about it throughout the week and come back the next week to listen to more things and forget about it till we come back the next week. I really do hope that we're actually taking it all in to meditate on them, to actually put them to practice. Because that's where the, 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 the results show when you actually put them to practice and you do them consistently, right? All the things we've talked about, we've talked, we started with talking about spiritual stuff, about the person of the Holy Spirit. He's not just a force, he's a person. He's the uh, third person of the Godhead. And he is the promise of, of, of the Lord Jesus to us as our comforter, our, um, our paraclete, our helper, right? Jesus said he will send another comforter. So the Holy Spirit is, is not just here to come upon, he dwells within us, right? We also talked about how um, there is power to the people of God, right? That with the Holy Spirit comes power, there is enablement, right? He brings power within us and through us. We also spoke about how it is a fruity life. I don't know if I'm getting the order correctly, but I believe I am, I hope so. Um, it's a fruity life and how that we are not just called to um, just have the Holy Spirit. He comes with fruits that um, are to manifest, to show that we have the Spirit within us. And to sum it all up, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of love, right? Um, then we talked about behaving your faith, how to live a life worthy of the gospel, worthy of the call you've been called to. I've been hearing fantastic testimonies about about that one in particular. I think a lot of people are living up to the standard of the gospel. Not like it's a set of rules and regulations anymore, but then there's a higher calling, calling out of sin. Right? God didn't just call us, you know, called our phone number and say, oh, just wanted to check it out. He called you, but he called you out. He called you out of sin and he brought you into a new kingdom. That's the beauty of the gospel. So, um, we now started talking about the, whole, the gifts of the Spirit last week and we're continuing on that. Uh, I promise you um, about one hour or a few minutes after that will never be enough to completely talk about the Holy Spirit. So you can imagine that we're doing a lot of rushing because there's still so much volume to cover. Um, next week what we're going to do is we're going to have a Q&A. Um, I'm going to give you further details about that. So we're not going to have the teaching. We're going to have Q&A to address a lot of questions that you might have about the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, or things that relate to that topic. Then after that, we just talk more, two more teachings in this series, and then we start another one. And I need you guys to be excited for what's to come. Trust me, it's going to bless you. Um, tonight, get your hearts ready. Um, if you can just... Uh, just for a few minutes, or for a few seconds rather, just 20 seconds, just ready your heart right now. Just pray to the Lord, Lord Jesus, I'm ready for your word. I'm ready to receive all that you have for me. It goes beyond Pastor Kenneth's words. 
But let your word be revealed. Let your truth be revealed and impressed upon my heart. That it will ignite a passion in me. A passion in me to follow and love the things of the Spirit. To desire the things of the Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, just prepare your heart right now. Thank you, Jesus. I'm ready. I'm ready, Holy Spirit of God. I am ready, Holy Spirit of God. Yes, thank you, Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Alright, so what I'm going to be doing is um, a quick recap, which I already just did, but specifically on a matter that I feel a lot of people still don't understand. So I'm just going to start with that and then dive right in. And this is the idea of the the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where um, you know there's this major concept where it is after you come to faith and you become born again, right? You become a believer in Christ. Is there a time after that moment where you have to wait again for the Holy Spirit to come? Is there a time for you to to like in an upper room wait again for a new refreshed pouring? Of the Holy Spirit for you to now start to manifest in the gifts of the Spirit, speaking tongues and the rest. Um, and this is a question that, for some reason, I thought I I spent some time to explain it, but I want to uh, rehash it right now. So um, there are two different things that we need to understand about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There is something called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And there's another called the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And these are very different ministries of the Spirit of God. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is what happens when salvation comes. Right? Um, I'll just read a couple of scriptures to prove that to you. Right? But before I do that, before I read those scriptures, um, there is there are some examples you might see in the book of Acts. Where it seemed like some people believed at first, and then later on, these guys started to speak in tongues after a long time. Maybe they believed before then. Another time, someone came to lay hands on them, decided to speak in tongues, and it seemed like they were baptized of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, I'm going to read those instances, and I'm going to explain something that everybody needs to pay attention to. Please, everyone, pay attention to this. Because um, it's going to help your understanding of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So, let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 8, from verse 14. Acts, chapter 8, from verse 14 to 17. Are you there? Alright, I'll just read quickly. Acts 8, 14 to 17. Now when the apostles which were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them who? Peter and John. So the apostles had heard, oh, the, the word had, had reached Samaria. So the, the mission was actually spreading. Jesus said, preach the gospel to all of, you know, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utmost part of the world. So it was spreading. Samaria is a, um, it's a sort of country or you may town that borders um, Jerusalem, borders Israel as a nation. So it's like um, Benin Republic to us, or um, Cameroon in the east, or Niger Republic in the north, right? So that's how it was. 
um, Samaria was very close by. And the word reached there, they sent for Peter and John. And when they came down, verse 15, they prayed for them that they might what? Receive the Holy Ghost. Verse 16, for as he was, for as yet he was falling upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17, when he laid hands on them, they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Right, so this is one example of that. Then let's open to Acts 19 from verse 1. I'll try my best to be as fast as possible because this is a long read. Um, Acts 19, 1-7. Uh, let me see. So, in this case, this was the apostle um, Paul. He came, met these people um, through a certain place uh, going towards Ephesus. And he saw them and he said, he, fa- he found certain disciples and said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Listen, it says, unto, they said, Unto John's baptism. Then Paul said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of what? The Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. So these were twelve guys that Paul met on the way. These guys claimed to be disciples of Jesus. But when he asked them, Upon um, deeper interrogation, he asked them certain questions, and they were like, "Ah, we've not heard about that one. All we know is what John taught us that um, there is someone coming. Uh, we should repent from our sins. That someone else is coming, and everything." And Paul was like, "Oh, this guy has come, and he what did what baptized them. He told them saying that they should believe on him who who should come after who is Jesus." That he baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus. He indoctrinated them into the teaching of Jesus. Not just John. That was the same thing that if you know the story of Apollos. Um, he was also corrected by uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Who heard him speak so eloquently. But he was only talking about the baptism of John. And these guys were trying to show that look there is more to this. This is not, this is not the reality. This is the shadow. Alright. And so when uh, Paul had preached to these guys. They believed in the name of Jesus. Then he baptized them and laid hands on them. One thing I need you to understand about these stories is that... Because when you see another story or some other stories in the book of Acts, there are some instances where um, the Holy Spirit came upon people um, without even the laying on of hands. And they spoke in tongues. An example of that is Cornelius and his entire family. While Peter was preaching to them, I believe that was Acts chapter 10... He was preaching to them, and as he was doing that, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon all of them that were listening, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were other times where the Spirit of God came upon someone, and they didn't even speak in tongues. For example, Paul, when Ananias prayed for him, and the blindness was removed, Paul received the Holy Ghost, was filled with the Holy Ghost, but the Bible didn't account that he spoke in tongues. So what you'll notice about the book of Acts is that as much as you see these signs happening, you see the remarkable stories. The book of Acts is an eyewitness account written by who? Apostle Acts? <laughs> I hope not. The apostle called Luke, right? 
Many of you, I hope you know that Luke wrote the book of Acts. And he was accounting for all the things that happened with the early church, right? These, this account is good, it is powerful, it is inspired. But the truth is you cannot obtain doctrinal stances or doctrinal positions from this account in the book of Acts. You cannot do that. Um, the reason being, when you look at this, there is there there are a lot of um, there are a lot of different differences in the way things happen, the way operations happen, and it's very simple and easy for someone to, as an eyewitness, see these things happen and try to tell it as it was seen. So, for example, you would say the Holy Spirit came upon them when He laid hands. But would you be sure and certain that the Holy Spirit wasn't already there before hands were laid? It's what you see and the result of what you see that you would account for. But when you read the book of the epistles that were written, the epistles were more authoritative to obtain doctrinal positions. right? They were more explicit. These were, these were the revelation. This is what Jesus promised when he told them the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance um, all that I've taught you and lead you into all truth. So this was the period where the Holy Spirit was exposing the things that had been written in the Old for them to write all these things. I hope you realize that all the New Testament scriptures were built upon the foundation of the Old Testament. I hope you understand that and I hope you realize that. When Peter, when the Holy Spirit had come in the upper room, he was preaching to these 3,000 people that thought they were drunk at the morning hour and Peter was giving some apologia, defending that, look, we are not drunk. I mean, it's, it's in the morning. We are not stupid. We don't do that. We are not drunk with wine. This is what has happened. He now said, this is what the prophet Joel foretold, that he will pour his spirit upon all, all flesh. This was the, the, the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus that the Spirit of God will reveal all truth to them. And so as you see things progressing in the writings, in the letters, in the epistles they wrote. For example, Paul the Apostle who wrote about um, three, three quarters of the New Testament. Where you see John, Peter and the rest that also wrote the epistles. They were inspired authoritative um, foundations for the early church. So if we are going to base our doctrinal stance by doctrine i mean um, a set of teachings that you are you hold to and adhere to as a believer you get that from the epistles do you understand what i'm saying the eyewitness accounts even the gospel matthew mark luke and john these were things from different people's perspective it doesn't um overthrow the inspiration of the holy spirit in the men that wrote it but you need to realize that the epistles were meant to explain they were designed to explain. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John were gospel accounts that were designed to tell of Christ. Um, Matthew was designed to talk about his genealogy, where he came from, his lineage, right, up to the house of David, and even the house of Judah, for example. In the book of, of Matthew, Mark, Mark was to foretell about the charismatic ministry of Jesus. In chapter 1, you see Jesus already healing the sick, doing miracles. Luke was an ex explosive account, very detailed, about the life and person of Jesus. John was trying to prove the deity of Christ. He started John chapter 1 with, In the beginning was the word. Come on. So, each of these books have their purposes, but you realize that the set of books 
called the epistles, the letters written to the saints in different locations, were to establish Christian doctrine. You need to understand that. I'm going to repeat myself. The epistles, the letters written by Paul, by John, by Peter, those letters that were written, Corinthians, Romans, um, Jude, Philemon, and the rest, these were letters written to people called as saints um, by God. And they were to enlighten the body. These were, these were saints. These are things that apply directly even to us because we are saints in Christ. Do you understand? So, these were directed, directed to us to govern our, our belief system, to help us imbibe these teachings and live by them. So, this is just by way of introduction. Um, what I'm trying to say is that if you want to pick doctrine, go to the epistles. Whatever the epistles say, then you corroborate it with what the, the accounts, like in the book of Acts, say. And then you, you see that they line up. Do you understand? The epistles explain to us these things. So, um, I said that to say this. There were instances in, in, in the book of Acts where you, 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 you see people receive um, the Holy Spirit after some time. It seems like that. And you see some people receive the Holy Spirit instantly. But the question you should ask is, what do the epistles say about this? What is the explanation? What's the revelation the Holy Spirit gave to the apostles on this matter? So that's where you go to a scripture like 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13. Right? I'm sure you know that scripture. I'm going to read a couple others. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13. I need you to follow me so you can understand everything I'm saying right now. Follow along. Um, so, for by one spirit, I've read this countlessly, by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we are bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So, one spirit baptized us into what? One body. That tells us that the Holy Spirit baptized us, included us into the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. Now you have to pay attention to this one. This is a very good one. This is so good. Oh my my. Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 13. Ah, this is beautiful. Now this is one that explains this idea of um, when does the Holy Spirit actually come in. Right? It says, In whom ye also trusted. Let me read another version so that it sounds simpler. Uh, let me see if I can read from the NIV. Alright, I hope you're with me. Ephesians 1.13 And you also were included in Christ. Aye. That word included in Christ, it represents baptism. You were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. What is the message of the truth? The next part explains it. The gospel of your salvation. Ah, look at this. I'm going to read it again. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, this is verse 14, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance unto the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Hallelujah. This is powerful. It says, when you believed, you were marked by the Holy Spirit of promise. You were included in Christ when you heard this message. So this is not just something that happens a long time ahead of, you know, maybe you, you got saved, did an altar call, you now have to wait. Maybe next week they are doing Holy Ghost baptism before you now receive the Holy Spirit. No, that is foreign to scripture. Bible says once you believe you are included in Christ, 
you are marked with the Holy Spirit of promise. Romans chapter 8 verse 9, I'm running out of time, so I'm trying to hurry up. Romans chapter 8 from verse 9 talks about it exactly the same way, um, almost in the reverse. It says this, um, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. It says you are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. You are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God does what lives in you, then he now says, uh, Paul writing to the Romans, Then if anyone does not have the Holy Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Should I repeat it? And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. It's a simple equation, right? You minus Holy Spirit equals to not in Christ. Do you understand? You plus Holy Spirit equals to in Christ. Very simple equation. So if you say that you have believed the gospel, you, you, you got baptized, um, you, you believed rather, you were born again, but you have not received the Holy Spirit, that doesn't make sense. Paul will look at you and say, Guy, what are you saying? I'll be going to read my book. <laughs> right? Read the testimony of the believer. It's someone who has been changed and transformed. Not only has that stony heart of flesh, um, stony heart rather, been removed, there's been a replacement. There's a new heart. There's a new spirit, which he said, you will put within us. Right? That's the testimony. And then 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 3, 16, they emphasize the fact that we are now the temples of the Holy Ghost. So, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit happens when you become saved, when you believe in the word of the gospel. You have the Spirit indwelling you. He seals you. Don't you see how important His ministry is? He's the one that change, changes you. Jesus said, He that is born of the, of the Spirit is spirit. So he's talking about the born again, the, the new creation reality. It cannot happen without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the, age, the agent of the new creation. He, he's the one that causes that transformation. So it is, it is wrong for you to say you, you are a believer and you don't have the Holy Spirit. It doesn't make sense. So what we are talking about now is now that you have the Holy Spirit, what next? That's what this whole series has been, you know, from the foundation. What next? We talked about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now we're talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to explain the infilling of the Holy Spirit two weeks from now. We're going to talk about how to be um, filled with the Holy Spirit and also how to be led by the Holy Spirit. Um, and trust me, it's going to be an amazing time. It's very important. Uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is His work. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is your work. And I'll explain when we get there. So guys, about the gift of the Spirit... Remember that we talked about it, that, that all the gifts of the Spirit are from God, right? They are gifts of God to His people. God gives them freely. We don't have to buy it like we see the magician Simon. Um, was this Simon, yes, who tried to buy it from Peter and John. When he saw them lay hands on people, he was like, what's going on? They're speaking in a strange language. He saw some unusual manifestations. He wanted to buy it. But no, it's a gift of God and it is free. Uh, there are also some churches today that you hear them say, if for you to get this gift is rare, but um, it's still prevalent in some places um, where you, 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 you have to pay a certain amount to the pastor for him to give you those gifts. It's very, very unusual and very silly. But all gifts are, first of all, from the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit lives in you. 
And what that means as a result is that you have access to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Do you hear what I said? You have access to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what are these gifts for? We established last week that they are to benefit the church. These this gifts are to make the people of God better. They are to meet needs, right? They are to proclaim that Jesus is alive. He is resurrected. His power is still with us and evident. And it's to reach our dying world, right? The gifts of the Spirit are also to reach the dying world. Like we see Peter and John do. Paul, when he heals the sick and reaches out to even those who are unbelievers, right? So... Um, the gifts of the Spirit are so important. For you as a believer, what is the relevance of the gifts of the Spirit? Like I said, it's not some sort of rat race. It's not some sort of um, status struggle where you're trying to show uh, me I can do all the nine gifts of the Spirit. You are just upcoming. Just tongues. Look at you. Look at you. Rada, da, da. That's all you can do. Me, I can do powerful things. Miracles. Very easily. You don't know what's happening. And that's not what the gifts are for. They're not to show power or status not at all. And we establish that no one is insignificant in the body of Christ. No one is small in God's eyes. Everyone has a very powerful part. How many of you have... Let me ask this question. You've had a toy before. Like maybe you had a toy car or a robot or something big or even a Barbie doll or something. And the whole... I mean the whole toy in itself is very big. Made up, made up of different parts obviously. And then maybe it fell down. That toy fell down and a small part came out, maybe a small bolt or not, or maybe it just broke off, one small part. And you realize you can't use this toy anymore, like it's useless because that small part fell out. You have to find a way to repair it, but it's never even going to be the same even if you try and repair it, unless you buy a new one, right? Do I have a witness in the house? I hope I do. That's something very important, right? That's something to note. The fact that even the smallest quantity, the smallest entity of a whole, the smallest part of a system can affect its operation and its running. Do you understand? If there's a gear that's meant to turn and turn, a small gear that's meant to turn, you know how gears work, right? One gear turns the next one and turns a bigger one and turns another one, which turns another one and another one like that. If one gear is missing, there is a link that is broken and the others can't function without it. That is the picture that Paul... If I'm an engineer and I'm, talk, and I'm writing the book of 1 Corinthians 12, that's exactly how I'm going to write it, using gears and mechanisms to explain how the body of Christ functions. We function like that. One person needs the other person, and that person needs the other person. I'm going to talk about the gifts now in detail so that you understand what you have at bay um, what you have rather at, uh, accessible to you, what you can walk in. Like I said, also, um, another recap last week is the fact that um, as much as we have access to the gift of the Spirit, um, I mean, it, it, like we, we talked about the Spirit gives as He wills, right? And we realize that there is also a place of desire. When you desire the gifts and you are available to them, that's distribution by the Spirit would tend to go to your direction because there is desire and there is availability. Very important for you to remember. Um, but another thing to note is that as much as we have access to all the gifts, so part time, you can find that um, someone um, can, part time, depending on what is, is needed at the time, can function in healing, can function in a word of prophecy, can function in interpretation as the need demands, right? 
But what you also see is a place of specialty with the gift of the Spirit. And I explained that last week, how there are different offices according to the grace bestowed upon us. That's what Romans 12 talks about. There are special places that each of us will occupy where we function the most, flourish the best. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a church or a gathering where someone just seems to be the only one prophesying or someone else just seems to be the, the only one healing or healing mostly or um, the other, this other person just has a word of wisdom more than others. Yes, there is a place for that. There is a place for um, a specialty, specialization in the gift of the Spirit. Um, and this one is not just necessarily um, growing in spiritual proficiency. There's a place where like how you exercise, right? The more you exercise, the better you get. There's a place for that, but this is different. This is a calling. This is a gift, a calling to specialty, where you are set apart to function in a gift more proficiently than even the others. doesn't mean you cannot function. What I mean is that someone who has been called to teach can prophesy, but prophecy will not be his um, special office to occupy. Do you understand? Um, and I, I read some scriptures last week. We're going to read them again as we go into the gifts. So, um, without further ado, let's dive right in. The plan is to finish as early as possible so we can have some time to pray about this. Um, I, I, I also want us to experiment a bit um, to share some words with each other. We're going to practicalize it. I really wish this were a physical meeting and I wish I could hear you guys. Um, but nonetheless, we'll make do with what we have. Are you ready? Are you ready for the gift of the Spirit? So I want you right now, I want your expectations to be up. I'm not just teaching this for you to just have knowledge. I want your expectations to be high. I want your desire to come alive right now as we're listening. Listen to these gifts. I want you to see how beautiful they are. How each of them make up the parts um, that make the body, the entire body function as a whole. So lo- listen to it. Some of you might even realize where your own callings are. Right? Some of you will realize that, oh, this is me, or this sounds like me, right? And whatever the case is, desire the best gifts, is what the Holy Spirit says, is what Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, desire the best gifts, covet the best gifts, right? So, uh, let me start with utterance gifts. I'm going to divide the, the gifts of the Spirit. Like I said, there are some gifts that were mentioned in Romans 12. I already explained them last week. If you, if you didn't hear that, you can get the audio teaching as well to listen to that. Um, so I'm not going to list everything again. But I'm going to divide the gift of the Spirit into three categories. Alright? I'm going to divide it into three categories. The first is the utterance gifts. The utterance gifts, or you can call them the speaking gifts. The speaking gifts, they, they require you to say something. Right? Their words. Words are very powerful. You know, it's by words that the world was created. So there is such power in words. Words change everything, right? In one moment, think about it. Words, the reason why words are powerful is they communicate information. Words communicate information. And in the spiritual realm, they, they carry creative power, alright? Um, for example, words can, do you believe words can change any situation? Imagine you had a very fantastic day. You got news. You finally got that scholarship you've been wanting to get into university, a $50,000 worth, um, worth of scholarship. You, your mood will change with that information. You, you got those words, you'll be so excited. And on hearing that, so God forbid, someone now tells you, um, 
your maybe your your girlfriend now messages you that you don't have my time anymore. I'm so sorry. It's over between us. Dum dum dum. Or maybe that's your boyfriend doing that. What does that do to the good news you just received? It dampens it. Imagine as you, that is still happening, just like in the case of Job. Another bad news should just come and hit you. Ah, sorry, we heard though. God forbid that one of your brothers was in a car accident, and sorry, we lost him on the spot. What does that do to you? Those words have an effect. Changes your entire life because it passes information. So words are very powerful. The utterance gifts are super, 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 super powerful. Um, and nothing like you've ever seen before, I promise you. Um, of course, unless you've seen it before. <laughs> so, power gifts are the next category. Power gifts, um, these are gifts that manifest themselves in such a supernatural way that you will look at them and see, whoa, this is huge. They are often manifested in a way that you can see the resultant effect physically, right? When you hear words, sometimes it's almost emotional. Um, the words, when you hear words, they are not really, words are not visible, right? Vocal words are not visible, but they have an impact nonetheless. But power gifts have a way of, um, there's a physical manifestation most of the time. You see it happen live and direct in front of you. Then we have revelatory gifts. These are gifts that help you see beyond the normal, help you see beyond just your physical senses, and help you reveal. That's what it is. It's, it's to reveal things. Um, they are almost similar to utterance gifts in some way. Because utterance gifts rely heavily upon revelation. But these are very unique as well. In the fact that they reveal powerful, powerful truth. So, um, utterance gifts. Let me not talk too much. Um, are you ready? Utterance gifts. So, I'm going to... Normally, um, most times we are taught there are nine gifts and... Under each of these categories, there are three each. So, three utterance gifts, three power gifts, three revelatory gifts. But, in actual fact, I want to be more accurate about it. So, I'm going to give you six gifts under utterance gifts. Yes, I said it. Six gifts under the utterance gifts. Are you ready? Okay. So, the first gift I'm going to mention is the teaching gift. The teaching gift. It's one that's hardly mentioned sometimes, and some other times it is, but um, prevalently you never really hear um, teaching explained as, as one of the gifts expressly. So we'll start with teaching, teaching gifts, teaching gifts. Um, let's see, let's see. Alright, can we open our Bibles to Romans 12 quickly? Yes, Romans 12, um, from verse 6, Romans 12 from verse 6, I'll be very quick with this one, um, I'm trying to beat time, so teaching gifts, Romans 12 from verse 6, it says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us, that's what I was explaining to you. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And what you realize is that grace is relevant even with the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, on, on your journey in life, everything is based on, as, as a believer, your journey as a believer, everything is based on the grace of God to you. That's why everything is free. Grace is something you don't deserve, yet you have, right? 
grace is available and then for you to function and tap into the grace available it takes faith right that's always how it is faith makes things available um grace makes things available is what i'm trying to say grace makes things available faith makes things accessible oh wow that makes sense (laughs) trust me i didn't even know the word i was going to use after i said faith but it works um so grace makes things available and faith makes things access accessible it may be available but you might not be able to access it unless by faith so that's how it is with things of the spirit that's how it is with things of god so it says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us if your gift is prophesying then prophesy in accordance with your faith if it is serving yourself if it is teaching then teach right so Teaching is a gift of the Spirit. You also see it in Ephesians 4.11, ministry gifts, where it says, She has called some to be teachers, pastors, um, apostles, prophets, evangelists. So, teachers. What does teaching imply? It is the supernatural ability to explain deep truths coherently and simply. Trust me, that's the simplest definition I could give. I, I wrestled with all the other complex definitions, but then that would not be good teaching now, would it? So, um, supernatural ability to explain deep scriptural truths coherently and simply. The teacher's job is to bring a wealth of knowledge to the level of a layman for full comprehension. That's the whole aim. That I can explain this um, amount of information, this wealth of knowledge, uh, deep truths of, 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 of the Lord... And explain it in such a simplified yet powerful way. Right? So, teaching is... Trust me. um, Some people think that um, teaching is something that anybody can just learn to do. Go to seminary. um, Go to a Bible school. And then you're good to go. Start doing pulpit ministry. Yes, that happens. And yes, it's something you can develop as a skill. Um, Sometimes it's easier for you to communicate and work in this skill when there is... Um, some vocabulary aids to you where you have some grammatical experience maybe you're just good with words you are, you are eloquent it helps you but guess what um, teaching is entirely supernatural and I'm going to because I can relate to this gift and this is um, if I would say one of my primary offices as a believer um, in which I operate this is not something that I acquired by skill. And that's why I'm trying to emphasize it. It's not something I acquired by skill. This is something that I didn't even, if I'll be fair to say, didn't even want. Because I, as I always say, I struggled with a lot of stage fright when I was growing up. I couldn't stand in front of people. I was a bit, um, in fact, when I was much younger, I was very overweight. And so there was a lot of self-esteem issues, right? That, wow, what would people think about this fat boy, this fat kid that is talking on the pulpit? So there was a lot of that happening. So it, there was always a lot of pressure when I would come in front of people to talk. I hated it. So when I started to get that leading, that look, boy, this is what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life to teach people God's word. Um, I was excited the fact that I was going to impart knowledge. That's where it started to come from. It came from a passion. It came from a desire. Um came from a desire to be able to love people, acquire knowledge and everything. And over time, it just developed into what it is today. 
Um, but I tell you that it's not really about skill. Thank God that I, I understand English, that I know some vocabulary, I can manage to say some words. Thank God for that. But um, what I would say is that if this is a gift you desire, please desire it. Like I said, the gifts become available to you even through desire. So if this is something you want, um, desire it. In fact, there was a place where Paul said, if you desire the job of a bishop, you desire a good thing. So it's it's imp- and a bishop is required to be able to teach. You should be apt to teach. So um, if this is something you want to covet and to be able to teach people, please desire it. You find that the Holy Spirit uses people powerfully in this way, and this is one of the gifts that it's in the, that's usually in the spotlight. All right, this is a gift that's really in the spotlight. People will see. That's why there's a lot of controversy when this man of God says this or that that teacher says that. It, it's in the spotlight. Everybody catches it. Everybody hears it. As many people who are accessible to that person. So it is supernatural gift. Don't ever downplay the role of teaching. It's not just a mere not biblical knowledge. This is a powerful thing. Paul was a teacher. Paul expounded the scriptures. Paul explained. These are people that exposit scripture. They, they are expositors. They use examples. You see how Paul uses numerous examples in his epistles. He uses agriculture. He uses biology, like what he says, we are all members of one body, to explain the family of God. Think about it. So, that's what a teacher does. There's some things he says that are still hard to understand, but uh, fundamentally, he's a teacher. Timothy is a teacher. Apollos is a teacher. In fact, a very eloquent one. So, I say was. was a teacher um, of, of scripture. So, it's a very powerful gift. Desire it if you really want it. Um, number two is evangelism. So the first one is teaching. Number two is evangelism. Yes, evangelism is a gift um, of of the Spirit. Yes, it is. Ephesians chapter four eleven talks about that. Um, it's one of those uh, people call it the fivefold ministry. So it's part of that list, and it's very very important for the body. There there are some people that just have an unusual desire. I've I've, I've met some of them. I know one. Uh, I know many of them actually and there's one that I the first person I realized it from like he was not necessarily a teacher like he he couldn't do and this is just I mean we're all all very secure about our giftings at least now but I just realized like look he couldn't stand for hours and teach how I teach break things down give examples use life stories connect everything together while still teaching uh, and one funny thing about teaching is that there's some things that <laughs> it is funny. Uh, there's some thing, there's some times where um, I'm about to teach something, and I already plan it out. Like for many of you who know me, you know that I like to plan things out. I like to write everything down, organize, um, and control things, the output of some things, right? But there's some times while I'm just at it, the spirit just directs my heart to a specific need. In that time, that's meeting a need. Teaching does that. Don't forget, all the gifts are wired to meet needs. There's sometimes that the teaching just takes a different direction, and it's for someone that really needs it. So that's what it is. Sometimes there's some things that I don't even up until when I'm going to teach something, I don't even understand it fully. But as I start to teach, the spirit just reveals things. I start to even learn as I'm teaching. Maybe some of you have had experience with that. That's what the teaching gift is. So this is my friend in question. I just realized he couldn't really do what I could do in that regard. But this guy could stand in front of crowds. He could carry megaphones. 
and shout and say, Jesus is Lord. Believe in him and you'll be saved. And he will shout, he will shout. And what is he saying? For just maybe 10 minutes, he's just saying the same thing. Jesus loves you. Come to Christ. He can take care of your sins. He can wash them away. It doesn't matter where, you, where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus loves you. And he keeps saying it for just 10 minutes straight. And you see numbers of people just coming to receive Christ. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> what did this guy? He didn't even use hermeneutics. He didn't use apologetics. He didn't use... Ah! And you just be like, what, what happened? That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. To witness to the lost. It's such a powerful thing. These are people you see going for outreach programs in churches. These are people that lead mission trips. These are people that engage in personal and public evangelism. There are people that see one thing about evangelism. Maybe this is you. Um, there's a specialty with how you interact with people. Um, the average believer might see someone who is a sinner who has fornicated and done drugs and had a lot of sex and maybe even was involved in gangs and cults and everything. And you are appalled, like, ah, I love this person in Christ, but no, no, I can't be friends with The evangelist is someone who doesn't care who you are. He will be your friend. That's who the evangelist is. She will be your friend. She will come down to your level and she will just be like, I love you regardless. Hold you by the hand and make sure that you have a place to grow. That's the evangelist. And to whoever it is, this is a very precious, oh, Lord, in fact, I'm very envious that somehow, of course, I love evangelism and I, I evangelize um, as, as much as I can, alright? It's very important that you can evangelize. By the grace of God, I made it a duty to evangelize daily to as many people as possible. Even if it's one person per day, I must tell someone about Christ. That's a daily practice I've taken upon myself. But the evangelist, is that role is such a powerful place. You are literally advancing the kingdom of God. You are literally changing the eternal destinies of people forever by preaching the eye. So, this is the thing. Everybody as a believer, you should be able to evangelize. You understand? It's a responsibility. Every believer should be able to teach. But there's a special gifting that the Holy Spirit gives you that makes your work effective. That's the gifting I'm talking about. It's supernaturally inspired. So please desire this gift if you want it. Some of you have already realized that this is your calling. You just love people unconditionally and willing to come to the worst of sinners that they will also come to Christ. So this is a very powerful gift of the Spirit. Number three, exhortation. This is still under the utterance gifts, right? Number three, exhortation. And I get this from um, Romans chapter 12, I think it's in verse 8, where it says, um, when it talks about if it's a serve, serve is a teaching, teach, and you know, it says, if it is to encourage, give encouragement. The King James Version it says the word exhortation. Alright? Now, I need you to see, some of you didn't realize with exhortation is a gift of the Spirit. How? Let me tell you what differentiates exhortation from evangelism. Or from teaching. Exhortation comes in form of strong encouragement. While you can listen to a one hour sermon, 30 minute sermon, you get blessed. Ah, thank you pastor. Ah, thank you sir. You are blessed sir. And then when you leave, you can only remember snippets of the teaching if you can even remember anything. The encourager or the exhortationist. The exhorter. 
it should be exhorter. <laughs> don't mind me. I told you I don't know English. The exhorter is someone who encourages you and meets a very specific need. That those words, the only words that they say for you in that time, push you to go the extra mile. Like, those words are like fuel to your engine. Do you understand? It's a special gift. And I have a couple of those. I, I need them in my life. <laughs> very important. That when they speak a word over your life, they, 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 that it, it gears you forward. It keeps you running. It just agitates you. I have, um, um, I've also been graced to, to be in that, to function in that gift as well. To be able to tell people things. And in that moment, that's what they need. That's what they need in that time. It might seem very silly. It might even just be, you can do this. You can do this because Christ strengthens you. Bam! And because of that gift, you've met a need to someone who was already given up on life. He was tired. Do you understand? So, the gift of education is so priceless. It is very, in the moment, it is very important. It sticks better than even most sermons will sometimes. Alright? It inspires strong actions, next actions that a person is going to take. Awesome. So we've gotten those out of the way. Now, these are the most common ones that people know as utterance gifts. Uh, we're talking about the gift of tongues, number four. The gift of tongues. The gift of speaking in tongues. Sometimes it's called diverse tongues, right? Diverse tongues. To talk about how it's different, it's not usually the same. Alright, alright. Praise the Lord. So, the gift of tongues is... The supernatural ability to speak in a language that you've never previously learned before, right? Um, supernatural ability to speak in a language never previously learned before. Now, the gift of tongues has to be the most controversial gift of the Holy Spirit. By controversial, I mean it's one of the most misunderstood, most misinterpreted, most misused as well most abused gifts if i would say because it's it's very it's a gift that is uttered so when it comes to that in fact all the utterance gifts are very sensitive gifts because they involve information Mem- remember that so any any time you're going to function in this gift remember that they are very sacred they are very important and sensitive gifts because they involve information as you're teaching as a teacher what you say matters. You cannot afford to mislead people with wrong information. Do you understand? As an evangelist, you cannot afford that. As a prophet, you cannot afford that. As an exhorter, you cannot afford that. So, even with these gifts, there is so much controversy around them, but they are very powerful and effective. Speaking in tongues, some people have said that it is simply speaking an earthly language that you've never learned before. So, for example... You go to Japan and you've never previously learned how to speak Japanese and you just go there and say, Konnichiwa! And you just go at a stretch. You preach Christ to them. And thank you, Holy Spirit. Oh, that was that was that was something. That was inspired. Amen. Um don't try it at home, kids. So imagine you just went there and you just spoke in Japanese and people got saved. That's what a lot of people call the gift of tongues. Trust me, a lot of people use that to, to explain the gift of tongues. But that's not the case. Right? What you see um, the Bible say about the... And, and trust me, that's what um, the account in Acts chapter 2 
seems to imply where it says the people heard them speak in their own languages and he mentioned some different places but these are some things I want you to consider you know there is a gift called interpretation of tongues right why would tongues need interpretation if it's already in the language of the people listening mm. should I take it again why would tongues need interpretation when it is already in the language of the listener so if I'm speaking in tongues to a Japanese person why does why did the tongues need to be interpreted again it doesn't make sense right so tongues are interpreted because when they are spoken they are not intelligible and that's why I said it's not good for you to just go to the book of Acts and just obtain doctrine from those eyewitness accounts it's not sufficient look at what the epistles say about this issue all right in in the book of first corinthians chapter 14 it tells us that i want us to even open there first corinthians chapter 14 from verse um two first corinthians 14 verse 2 for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to who god very simple this is paul with so much revelation right he's speaking it um, to I mean with so much revelation he's telling the people in Corinth look he says anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God indeed no one understands them they utter mysteries by the spirit so as you're speaking in tongues you're not actually speaking to the people even if you claim it's an earthly language it's, it's, it cannot be because it says only God understands right so the need for interpretation, which is the next gift I'm going to mention, but before I go there, I'll still draw a bit on tongues. The reason why interpretation is then needed is so that what you have spoken, the mysteries you have spoken by the Spirit, now become intelligible to people. So you are now asked, so what's the point of speaking in tongues if it's only to God is going to? It's because speaking in tongues is very valuable for personal edification. Speaking in tongues is both an end and a means to an end. Should I come again? Speaking in tongues is a, is a very unique gift. It is an end in itself and it's also a means to an end. It is an end in itself in so much that as you are speaking in tongues, the Bible says, you edify yourself. In that same, um, in that same scripture, so if your name is Eddie, this is very good for you. So you edify yourself. He said, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. That's verse 4. You know, let me stop there before I go even further. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. And when you edify yourself, um, what that, when you speak in tongues, rather, you find out that when people speak in tongues in, in different accounts, like in the book of Acts, Cornelius' family, those people who just burst out in tongues and everything, the Bible says, they heard them declaring the marvelous works of God, even in the upper room. The people that heard them, heard them magnifying the works of the Lord. So, you find that as you are speaking in tongues, you are glorifying the Father and you are getting better. You are filled with the Spirit more. Your, your, your spirit man is being strengthened. It's being, now, I'm not of the opinion, as many people will say, that uh, when you pray in tongues, it's, it's so that you, because you don't, you don't want the devil to understand you or... <laughs> That that's the only language the devil doesn't understand. That um, even when you don't know what to pray for, you use tongues to do that. I understand what people are trying to say, and many of it, 
a lot of it bears root in Romans 8.26 where it says, we don't know what to pray sometimes, but the Spirit um, intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And I've explained this time without number that that place is not talking about utterance gifts, specifically the gift of tongues, because it says groanings which cannot be uttered. So that, that cancels out tongues, right? So some people have used this gift as a means of idleness. You get to a point, and that's the down part of saying it's for praying when you don't even know what to pray, just praying the spiritual, speaking mysteries. That's a, that's an also an abuse of the gift. When you are just speaking for that sake, what you're doing is your your mind is no more involved. Even though you say the gift of tongues does not involve your mind is unfruitful, fine. But what it does is it doesn't help you in prayer to pray intentionally. Sometimes when people run out of words, they are praying, they are praying and they are just tired. They don't want to even want to process anything or say any words again. They just have to speak in tongues to while away the time to make sure they've covered their one hour. And that's not how it should be done. That's not how it's supposed to be done. Speaking in tongues is not an escape from using your brain. <laughs> Sorry if I sound a bit derogatory, but it's the truth. Speaking in tongues is not a gift to excuse you from using your brain to communicate with the Father. It's a way of saying you want to be absent-minded in a communication. Just like, imagine you are talking to your girlfriend or your boyfriend and you are having a conversation and all of a sudden the person just blanks out of the conversation. The person is not even listening to you again and is just saying whatever he wants. You're not communicating. So you need to make sure, as much as you're praying in tongues, building yourself, edifying yourself, that you're not doing it as an escape from thinking about what you want to pray about. Don't use it as a cop-out. It's not supposed to work that way. It wasn't designed for that. Right? But like I said, that's when it is an end in itself. Where it edifies you and it does that to you. It meets your own personal needs. But guess what? This gift is also so multifaceted that it can meet another person's need. But it needs to partner with another person. So do you see how the gifts are connected, right? You're going to partner with somebody else or another gift to make this thing even reach someone better, to edify someone else other than yourself. So all these gifts are connected. The teacher um, teaches the evangelists. Do you understand? Um, the teacher teaches the evangelists the gospel. The evangelist recruits people and tells them of the gospel. The exhorter encourages people to do the work of ministry. Um, so, all these gifts are connected. Just like tongues, is connected to the next one which I'm going to mention. Verse 5, which is interpretation of tongues. Right? Interpretation of tongues. That's another gift of the Spirit. Um, we're still going to talk about, I really wish we could spend so much time in First Corinthians 14. But maybe when we have this series again, we will do that and explain it even more. Um... So, interpretation of tongues. From this term alone, you can tell already that if tongues are intelligible to, to the human understanding, you can't really understand them because they are mysteries. Interpretation of tongues simply means you are now unveiling the mystery. You are now making it known. What is this person talking about? All the rada da da, all the bada da ba. What is it? What does it mean? Um, so, one common thing that people need to be careful to not misinterpret is the fact that interpretation of tongues doesn't necessarily mean um, a transliteration or a translation of tongues. Um, what people expect is that the length of your tongue speaking must match the length of your interpretation. 
And that's why a lot of people have missed out of interpreting because they're not sure that's the right thing. So you hear someone speaking in tongues, wanting to give a message, and goes on for maybe 30 seconds. And that's a long one. And all that comes to the mind for, or the spirit for interpretation is, the time is now. The time is now. <laughs> and you're like, ah, ah, no, it cannot be. Maybe the time is now. Now is the time. The time is here. The time is at hand. You want to now fill in the gaps. It doesn't work like that. Alright? The gift of interpretation is a powerful gift that interprets the message, the underlying message of the tongue speaking. It doesn't translate word for word. It interprets. There's a difference, alright? And there's also the notion that you yourself, because everyone in the body of Christ needs each other, so once you speak in tongues, the other person, another person has to interpret it for you. While there is the place of that, where in some cases someone else can interpret the tongues that you gave, um, most commonly the Bible tells us that the one who speaks in tongues, in this same First Corinthians 14, like I said, I really wish I had time to go through it, but it says the one who speaks in tongues should desire that he interprets, right? He was talking about how um, Paul said in verse 18 that he thanks God that he speaks in tongues more than we all, but he will rather speak five intelligible words than 10,000 words in tongues in a gathering, all right? So Paul encourages that anyone who can speak in tongues should rather desire that he should interpret the tongues as well, right? Um, he said it in verse 5, I would like everyone of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather you prophesy, right? So we're going to get to that, the place of prophecy, but then, this is very important. As much as you can speak in tongues, you can also interpret. Paul advises that you interpret, especially when you are in a gathering, you understand? So that you're not just blessed, you're not just edified, it builds other people. Now, that leads me to the third um, one in the um, tongues category, but the sixth one under the utterance gifts, which is prophecy. Prophecy. What is prophecy? Um, prophecy many times, um, let me put it this way, prophecy is both telling about what Christ um, what Christ has done uh, how do I put it in, in a simple way prophecy can be both a present thing and a future thing alright prophecy can be words inspired by the spirit of something present that Christ has made available for us that's New Testament prophecy um, and there is also foretelling of future events. That still happens in the New Testament, in case you are wondering. It does happen. You know, the Bible gives an example of Prophet Agabus, who was with Paul and saw that, look, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, they are going to arrest you. He was a demonstrative prophet. He took, prophet rather. He took his belt, tied his hand, and said, the one who owns this belt, just as I have tied my hand, so also will they tie his hands in Jerusalem in captivity. And that was a warning that of a future time. This same prophet Agabus also foretold of a famine that was going to hit them in that time. So God can reveal certain information to someone and that person speaks out that information, tells the people what the Lord has told them of, of future events. A prophet can also share um, things of the present, right? 
um, share information about what Christ has done um, as established for us as well. Uh, but there is a guideline that helps us judge prophecy. Um, ah, I really wish I had much time. Prophecy is a gift that needs to be judged. In fact, every gift of the Spirit, they are not, a, they are not um, away from the microscope of judgment. Every one of us, we are expected when we hear a word, and much as we are ready to receive it, we should also judge it. We should pass it through a filter, right? And Paul gives this filter in verse 3 verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 14 it says but the one who prophesies speaks to people for what they are strengthening that word strengthen is edification for their encouraging that word encouraging is exhortation and for comfort so whenever someone prophesies, the end at the end of the day, right? There are sometimes where the prophecy is to prevent evil, right? That comes, that comes under, <coughs> excuse me. That comes under bringing some sort of comfort and safety, right? So, um, prophecy should achieve these three goals. It should edify, it should strengthen the body. When you hear the the the, the powerful message of God. In prophecy about what he has done for us in Christ, new creation realities, it strengthens you. It also encourages you when you hear the Lord comforting you and, and bringing words that, even regardless of the situation you're in, God will do this, God will do that. You know, those are assurances, those are things that encourage, those are things that comfort. Prophecy should be in that line. Prophecy can also come in the form of a warning. But that warning is to keep you safe from that happening. Do you understand? So, but any prophecy that, as people will call it, a prophecy of doom, where it says, this person, you will die, you will do this, you will do that, and or this will strike you at so, so, so time. Anything that inspires fear, any prophecy that inspires fear, or inspires doubt, or, or inspires distrust, in you is not inspired by the Spirit of God. So that's how you can judge prophecy. That's how you can judge what is from the Lord. Um, you need to be um, aware of these things. There are a lot of people who have been misled. A lot of families who have crumbled and fallen apart because they listen to some prophets in quotes. Right? People who are speaking all sorts that, oh, it's this person in the village that is destroying your family. And then at the end of the day, causes one war or the other. Or is your husband that is sleeping around and the husband is not... You know all these funny things that we hear happen. Prophecy is not for that. But let me show you a very funny equation and very interesting equation um, that Paul brings for prophecy. Um, and he takes it from verse... I believe it's verse 5. Verse 5, yes. Of First Corinthians 14. So this is what he says. He says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Do you see that? So this also answers the question of who can speak in tongues. Um, some people say, oh, it's a special gift and it's not for everyone. It's as the Spirit wills, as He gives. Some don't even speak in it altogether in some denominations of churches, like I've mentioned before. With the Baptist or some Roman Catholic churches, they don't believe this is a gift from God to the church. Um, 
But you see Paul literally saying, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. You see what happened that in the upper room, when the first, the first instance of the Holy Spirit coming, you find that 120 of them which were in the upper room at the time, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is the mother of the Catholics, every one of them spoke in tongues. Every single one of them, the Bible says, spoke in tongues. Not one was left out. In fact, when Jesus, before he left and ascended in Mark 16, 17, he said, This sign shall follow them that believe. They will what? Speak with... What was the first thing he even mentioned? They will speak with new tongues. They will speak with new tongues. That was a promise. Who? Those that believe. So, the gift of tongues is not one that you say is just for the elite few, only for the biggest boys in town or biggest girls. No. Speaking in tongues is expected to be used by everyone who calls on the name of Jesus and if by chance let's say that speaking in tongues is just for a few people for the very fact that Paul said this you should be part of those few people do you understand desire yourself into it desire yourself into that list and must be part of these people do you understand so I would like every one of you to speak in tongues but so you see a preference here but I would rather that you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks who speaks in tongues. Now, this might seem like he's putting a rank system as to the importance of these people. Um, but this is not rather their importance. It is contextual. This is in relation to where they are. In a gathering of people, the person who prophesies is actually more important than the one who just speaks in tongues. But he now says, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So, the whole point is that if you're in a gathering, it's not just you that needs the edification. The whole church, the entire church, needs to understand what is being said. That's why he said, I speak in tongues more than you all, but I would rather speak five words in normal languages that people can understand than 10,000 words in tongues. I'm not impressing anyone by just speaking long in tongues. They need to understand what I'm saying. You know, I once watched a video, I'm not going to mention the name of these preachers, you you probably know them, very prominent preachers, and both of them were just talking to each other um, on, on the stage, and they were speaking to each other in tongues, they're like, hooray, bubble, da-da, and the other one was laughing, ha-ha-ha, speaking in tongues, they were just speaking to, to tongues in, to each other, and that's not very scriptural, because the tongues need to be interpreted um, vocally, not just in your mind or whatever, needs to be interpreted so that the other person understands what is being said. So, um, this is the equation that Paul brings. He said, if you speak in tongues alone, you're not as good, you're not as important as the person who prophesies in a known language. So, what he's trying to say is, tongues plus interpretation of tongues is equal to prophecy. So, you're only equivalent to prophecy when you can interpret the tongues because then it is known. Do you understand? So, while sometimes prophecy can come um, sort of directly, um, sometimes actually, some people don't realize that some of the tongues they've spoken is the result of the prophecy they are speaking. Um, sometimes it just seems to come directly from the Lord and you just speak, right? But when you speak in tongues and you can interpret it, there is a message there, it is equivalent to prophecy, right? Tongues plus interpretation is equal to prophecy and we mentioned that prophecy passes some guidelines that um, you must be able to edify you must be able to exhort and bring comfort and safety to those who listen to it 
Praise the Lord. Uh, we could spend an entire um, time teaching on those. But I want us to move ahead. We still have six more gifts to go through. So let's be fast. Power gifts. Power gifts. And I want you to be thirsty. I want your appetites to be up for this gift. I promise you, you can have someone who walks in all these gifts effortlessly and proficiently. Oh, very, very, very. I, I, by the grace of God, and this is not a boast for any. There's no reason to boast. This is all free. A free gift of grace. I have conveniently walked in all the gifts of the Spirit because I have desired each and every one of them. Every single one of them, by the grace of God. Every single one of them. And it is so powerful. Um, the reason why I'm still exploring more on these gifts is because you find out that we don't have so, so much information about the gifts, especially those mentioned in First Corinthians 12. You find out that there was no explanation. Paul simply just listed them, expecting that those who were hearing understood what he meant. He mentioned um, gift of governments, gift of helps, gift of miracles, gift of healings, gift of faith. Um, and he expected that people would just understand. The believers there would understand. Probably he had already taught them separately. But what you see is that we don't have so much information. So many times, what, all we have to go on is our personal experiences and what we, we can probably guess they, they should be or the entire scope of these gifts should be. Um, but at the end of the day, everyone is still exploring in the gifts of the spirits in the fullness and different magnitudes. Do you understand? So... Um, Let's just dive right into the power gifts now. Like I said, power gifts, these are the gifts that um, you can see uh, they're from a supernatural, spiritual source, but have a physical manifestation. And one of them, number one in this category, is the gift of miracles. Gift of miracles. Um, miracles are very diverse, right? What are miracles? Miracles are supernatural occurrences that, that kind of go beyond the natural order of things. They break natural law. So while someone shouldn't be able to walk on water for that moment um the law of archimedes is suspended for that moment gravity is suspended surface tension principles are suspended and a man like jesus christ and peter his disciple can walk on the surface of water without sinking for the time being i mean before he started to sink right so that's a gift of miracles miracles are supernatural occurrences that break natural law and another example of this is what you see in matthew sorry mark 16 17 where it says after you speak with tongues uh, my name it says you shall cast out devils in my name that's a gift of miracles to be able to speak to a demon with authority and cast it out that's a miraculous thing right and that's something that has a physical manifestation when you do it Another example is raising someone from the dead, which Jesus did countless times. When he raised people who were once dead, restored their, their breath back into them, and they came to life. Do you understand? That's a gift of miracles. So, this is one that, ah, I promise you, this is not one that you can put in a box. The list goes on and on. The, you, have you ever heard of the 5,000 Jesus fed, and another 7,000 he fed another time? Jesus fed this multitude from five loaves and two fishes. Can you picture how it would be? There was a basket, five loaves, two fishes. Your typical modern day what? Bread and sardine. That's what they were eating there. So don't think it's a new invention. It's as old as biblical days. Bread and sardine. And he was holding it. Maybe Titus was there with them for, for good reason. He didn't, he didn't get the joke. He didn't get the okay. <laughs> Alright. Titus was there with them. Philip and the rest. 
and they carried this basket and Jesus started to share the bread. But as he was sharing, think about it, he was sharing the bread, but he didn't stop sharing. Do you understand? The more he was giving out, the more was... Co- That's a gift of miracle. And this is something that you must never put God in a box for. If you are to walk in the gift of miracles, your mind must be imaginative. Your mind must be out of the... Like, your mind should just be out there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, you must be able to think the impossible. Let me let me give you another example of some gifts of miracles. In fact, some of the Old Testament prophets walked in these gifts very, very effortlessly. There was a time where... I mean, the water was bitter. I think it was Moses. And he put salt in the water and it became sweet. It was a time where the axe head of um, of an axe fell into an, uh, a river. And and um, what's his name? Elisha wanted to get it. But what did he do to get it? <laughs> Think about it. These are Old Testament prophets who didn't even have the fullness of the Spirit. The Spirit just came upon and left. He threw a twig, a, a literal stick or a branch of a tree and threw it into the water and the axe head that is heavy, that weighs several, several pounds floated to the surface. Think about that. Think about how imaginative or out of the box you have to think and trust that God will use that means to do what he wants to do. This guy wanted to pass through, this same Elisha wanted to pass through a river and he took his mantle. His mantle is like his garment, his cloak. He removed it and smote the water and what happened he did what Moses did parted the water left and right and he walked across the river these are gifts of miracles these are people Elijah Elijah there was someone who was dead Elijah saw this boy who was dead and lied on top of him and how many times was it three times he, he lay on top of the guy imagine someone that is dead a small boy and lying on, on top of him what would people think <laughs> what is this guy doing it, 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 stop, stand up for my son. What nonsense is this? In my own house. Imagine that. Lying down on his, on a boy and breathing life to this guy. The guy jumped up, came out back to life. Gift of miracles. This is, this is a gift that I, in fact, is the most adventurous to me because it happens in many ways, many times. See, let me know. Ah, there's some, there's some examples I'll, I'll share that some of you might not. Ah. Uh, should I actually know? I won't share this. I won't share it. Some of you already, some of you know the story. But the summary of, of what I'll say is that, for example, um, Philip being able to live after he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, right? He baptized him with water. Um, and when the eunuch came out of the water, he didn't see Philip. The Bible says the Spirit took him away to another place. That's a gift of miracles. For you to be able to supernaturally live and transport one place to another. Without any means of physical transportation. That's a, mir- that's a miracle. It's not normal. It's against natural law. So the gift of miracles are exceptional. There are some times. God knows that there are times where. Some. some I don't know if. Ah no no. Imagine. Ah no 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 no. Ah, miracles are powerful. Another example was the one of the woman that met Elijah. And she had only one um, jar of oil. Right, and she wanted to just make cake and eat with her son and die. There was a lot of famine in that time. And God was going to use this woman who had limited resources to bless even Elijah himself. That she made with the oil, used it to make food for him. There was more running over. Do you understand? The gift of miracles is how you turn water into wine. 
those are gifts of miracles so have i given you enough examples it's endless it's an endless list right personal uh let me not share some personal examples biblical examples are, are enough um number two gift of healings under power gifts now this is separate from just gift of miracles are healings miraculous yes they are but gift of healings are more um targeted towards curing physical ailments you know and i have cause to believe that sometimes supernaturally it extends to emotional um emotional hurt as well but that's just by the way let me not leave the scope Physical healings, we see it commonly. Jesus healed the sick. The apostles healed the sick. In fact, the very mantles and the very clothings of the apostles were efficacious enough to heal the sick. Right? So, gift of healings. And um, Kenneth Hagin of Blessed Memory would always say that it's called gift of healings very specifically because it involves, you know, the... Like, there's no disease that is incurable it covers all kinds of diseases all forms of healings if anything can get better from a deteriorated state that's a gift of a gift of healing will be necessary in that situation so if there's someone that is hurting badly god supernaturally can use another believer to heal them do you understand it can be a leg pain and see let me let me help you with this there is nothing too small for god not to heal this God has healed people of pimples and acne. This God has healed people of of thyroid issues. People that are just unusually fat. Not because they consume a lot of food. But there is a problem with one of their glands. Is it their um, thyroid or... I've forgotten, I forgotten. I didn't do biology. So please don't blame me. The gland responsible... Or is it pituitary gland? Or There's a gland that is responsible for um, weight, share. Um so some people have those dysfunctions and what you, people will see physically as a weight, weight loss might just be him healing that gland, you know, those hormones. So if there's hormonal imbalance, God can heal it. If there is um, an overflow during that time of the month where the visitor comes to visit, ladies in the house, you understand what I'm talking about. If it's just overflowing, not in the good way, there's the good biblical overflow, right, and just by the way, there's some songs you shouldn't sing at that time of the month. Don't say, Open the floor, gates of heaven, or Oh Lord, overflow. Don't sing those kinds of songs. It doesn't help. Um, but back to, <laughs> on a serious note, um, he can heal those kinds of things. He can heal headaches. He can heal malaria. He can heal fever. And the more you step out in faith to even start with the smaller things, the more you build yourself even to the bigger things. There is nothing impossible for God to heal. Hallelujah. Ah, I can stop with the message here. But guys, there is nothing impossible that God cannot heal. God can heal cancer. God can heal HIV and AIDS. God can heal every kind of disease. He can heal hepatitis. He can heal coronavirus even. There is nothing too big for God to heal. Do you understand? And now, guess what? The beautiful part is that God doesn't just come from heaven and heal he uses you to heal. He said, you will lay hands on the sick. The, the, the ministry of laying hands is such a powerful thing. I wish we had time to talk about it. Under the gift of healings, the gift of healings don't just happen by words alone. Your hands are very important. They are channels through which the Holy Spirit will use powerfully to heal the sick. Do you understand? And, and ah, it's very powerful. So, 
at this is if there's any gifts you should desire, this should be one of them. One of the gifts you desire to function in. See, you walk more in the gift of healing when you desire it so much and you are available to put it to practice. You start from the small things. If someone tells you, Ah, I'm feeling pain or I feel this way, you you take the step. Can I pray with you? Can I speed up this process? Yes, there is a place of natural healing where your body heals naturally and, and you know your antibodies fight for you to clot the blood, to fix the problem, your immune system comes into action. But you can speed up this process in the place of prayer and the gift of the heal of, of healings. Do you understand? You can speed it up. You ask the person. When you ask to, to, to minister in this gift, you, you speak with confidence and boldness so that to inspire faith in that person. Do you understand? Then there is the gift of faith. And the gift of faith is faith is kind of like the cement that holds everything together. The gift of faith is the ability to believe God for almost the most impossible things. And it's very it's very necessary. It works hand in hand with the gift of healing. It works hand in hand with the gift of miracles. You need to be able to see beyond the natural so that you can see the supernatural. Right? It's where um, Paul says in Ephesians 3.20 um, that exceedingly abundantly, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can think of. Or ask all that you can imagine. This is where faith, this kind of faith comes in, where your mind goes even beyond the normal. If people are saying, Ah, we can't cross this road, though, um, or we can't cross this river, we need to find a boat. Where can we get money to rent a boat? You're like, What, which kind of boat? Let's pass. Like, ah, what are you saying? There's a river. No, let's pass. You divide the river and you walk. <laughs> That's a gift of faith. It's just extraordinary extraordinary you find you read a lot, a lot of stories of some early saints in the early churches and you hear some of the things that these guys did powerful things and you're like how how did they get such strong faith to so believe this kind of faith um faith is inspired by the holy spirit and what that does is it, it helps you minister to the needs of people effectively and the gift of faith is also very contagious i believe there is a way you can act in faith that inspires other people to like faith. Do you understand? That's the second part I have found by experience of the gift of faith. That as much as you are believing God so much so, it, it kind of meets the need of someone who needs to walk in faith. And so there is a contagious effect it has on that person. And that person responds in faith to God. So lastly, as we're closing... Um, Revelatory gifts, right? These are the last three. And the three gifts here, you have the word of knowledge, right? Word of knowledge. Some of you call it word of K or walk. You call it walk, W-O-K. Word of knowledge, it's, it's very prevalent and many times it's misconstrued and um, mixed with the gift of prophecy, right? Um, being able to supernaturally know things about someone or about an event without prior knowledge right i gave an example last week where i i told someone do you know any um dio and she was like no she doesn't know any um tire. was it tire i said doesn't know any tire but she knows a dio that kind of thing and there was information that was um attached to that name so sometimes what annoyance can come as you just see someone and you say hmm, there's something wrong with this person guys this gift is powerful personally this gift has helped me save lives a lot of times. I, I'm not speaking figuratively. I mean literally. 
There are some times I'm just on my own in my room, just praying to the Lord, and a name pops into my heart. The Lord just brings a name, and with that name, I say, Lord, what about this person? And he tells me this and this and this and this and this and this. And I have knowledge. Call the person up. Don't do what you're about to do. Don't do it. And what am I saying? The person is about to end their life, for example. Like, commit suicide. The person has already bought pills. This is a real life example. The person has already bought pills they're going to take. And I've, I've talked to the person already. Don't do it. That's a word of knowledge. Right? You're about... The word of knowledge there is... That you are about to commit suicide. Do you understand? Don't commit suicide. And that leads me to the next point, which is word of knowledge. So, I'm sorry, word of wisdom. Pardon me. The next one under revelatory gifts is the word of wisdom. So, while knowledge is just information, wisdom is action. I'll say that again. While knowledge brings information, wisdom inspires action. Information brings, sorry, knowledge brings information. Wisdom brings and inspires action. So, when you have said something, the word knowledge is, um, for example, your mom lost her job. The word of wisdom is what next step to take. Do you understand that? Like, what we know as wisdom is the application of knowledge, putting knowledge into action. So, there are some people who can just tell you um, how to do certain things very wisely based on the information they have. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. You find that this happens a lot with counseling. There are a lot of people who are just counselors. And counselors, if you are going to find yourself as a counselor or a disciple at someone else, or maybe you're going to be a mentor, you need this gift to be able to instruct those you are leading and mentoring to take some certain actions based on the knowledge that you have about them. Do you understand? So they work hand in hand. It's like tongues and interpretation. When you have a word of knowledge, desire that you may have a word of wisdom. Do you understand? Don't just stop at giving knowledge. So what? You know that my dad lost his job. What else? You just say, that's it. That's not enough. That's a good first step. But the next step is, what should you do about it? What should your dad do about it? You tell someone, I feel you have a, a, a pain in your head. You have a headache, a migraine. The word of wisdom can simply be, go and sleep. <laughs> no jokes. The word of wisdom there might be, go and sleep, you are tired, you are stressed. This migraine is as a result of stress, not sickness. Go and sleep and you'll be well. Bam, that's a word of wisdom. Do you understand? The, another one is, you're not doing so well in your academics. A word of wisdom can be simply, you need to study more and cut off so and so. And there was a time I told someone that um, in, back in school, I wasn't doing so well. And I told him, I said, see, you need to cut off this. I know you're not doing well. And it wasn't because I'd seen his GPA or his results. I just knew. And I told him, look, cut off this and this from your life. At some point, it was video games. At some point, it was social media. Cut it off. I even mentioned a specific lady you should stop talking to. Mentioned a specific game you should stop playing. I was like, have I ever used this laptop? I was like, no, I haven't. But just stop. Just stop using these things for the time being and focus on this, focus on that. Then we took action, drew a timetable. That that semester was his best GPA ever. So, at the end of the day, words of knowledge and wisdom are very powerful tools to meet the needs of people, to inform people and also help them take the best next action 
based on that information. Do you understand? So it's, it's such a powerful gift. Many of you have worked in this gift, but you just know something supernaturally. You just know, and then you can now inform the person involved what to do next. Sometimes the word is for you, Seth. You might have a word of knowledge, but the way God loves it is that other people have the word of knowledge for you rather than you having it for yourself. That's how we depend on each other. That's how we need each other in the body of Christ, where we supply to other people, and as they receive, they also supply. Do you understand? So we receive to supply. We, um, yeah, basically, we receive to supply. We receive to give. Um, then the last one is the gift of discernment. The gift of discernment. This is such a powerful gift, and you will need it. You will need it. The gift of discernment is not just knowing or being able to discern what is being said, but to also discern what where what is being said is coming from, the source of what is being said. So, for example, you hear something by a preacher, and your spirit is just like, ah, no, no, this is not right. No, 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 no. This cannot be right. There's just that burning sensation within that, ah, no, this cannot be accurate. This cannot be true. It just burns within. That's a gift of discernment, right? And the gift of discernment many times works with your knowledge of the Word of God, right? Um, where John in First John two said, "But you have the anointing, who teaches you all things, and you need no man to teach you otherwise." Do you understand? What he was trying to say is that the Spirit confirms the message that was told you before, that was taught to you. So that you can sieve out any other thing that comes out that is contrary. So the reason why you can tell that ah this this person is speaking that is preaching ah no no something is off is because you are discerning by the spirit that this is not in line with correct doctrine sound doctrine and also the source of the information. So the information might actually be accurate, but you also need to be sure where is it coming from. Right, I'll give you an example. So, this case happened in the book of, I think, Acts, verse chapter 16, where Paul, that's the whole incident that landed Paul and Silas in prison. They went to a place um, to, of course, do ministry. And a young girl came and said, You are men of God. Start to proclaim divinely. You are men of God, preachers of the gospel. You are, you are preachers of love. You are not men of war. You're not, you're not, you're not men of fight. You, you are, you are preachers of love. That's what she was telling them. She proclaimed, and Paul said, "Yes, yes, that's true. I'm a preacher of love. That's who I am." And the Paul, okay, let me just stop there. Praise the name of Jesus. And what this lady was saying to them was true, very, in fact, could not be more accurate. But guess what? The source, the source of what she was saying was not the right source. It was divine, alright, but not the godly kind of divine. It was a spirit that controlled this girl to say these things, right? It was a spirit that drives drives fortune telling. It's the it's a spirit that 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 is is not of God basically. Do you understand? And she said it inspired by this spirit. And Paul could discern. The Bible says he was agitated in his spirit. He was aggravated and rebuked this girl. Now, the whole aim of her saying it was actually to expose them. It was not like she was praising them. You are men of God. I love you guys. Can I get your autograph? That was not the idea. She was saying it to get them into trouble. 
because they were in a hostile environment. People who used, I mean, they were using this girl for money, to make money. They were involved in witchcraft and all of this. So they were trying to, she was trying to expose them, even though she said the truth. She knew who they were divinely. But Paul discerned, he discerned, he discerned. He knew this is not of God. This is not of God. He could tell that, look, this girl, she's from an, another source. Do you understand? From the other place. you understand? And he rebuked her. And guess what? He cast out that spirit from the young lady. Right? Um, let me see if I can read it. Yeah, so, um, it was, yes, Acts 16, verse 16. On the way going to prayer, I remember some female slave who had a spirit. Um, I think King James calls it the spirit of divination. Here it says, who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And she earned a great deal of money for those people. So, she said, this man are servants of the might of the might, most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. And Paul, the Bible says, being so annoyed, he turned around and said to the spirit. Immediately he knew, this is not of God. There's a spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her. And at that moment, what happened? The spirit left. I had no option. And so they realized that, oh, their own money-making machine, which is this girl, they've lost her because she doesn't have that spirit anymore. And that's how Paul and Silas, that's the story behind Paul and Silas being locked in prison. They, they, they got angry, arrested them. But what you see here is that the gift of the sermon works hand in hand with the gift of miracles. It's so that if you're going to cast out devils, Right, you need to be able to first discern demonic activity to be able to then cast the demon out, and that's what discernment is. You need discernment. You handle a lot of people growing up in your career. There are people who are doing things because they want to take advantage of you, because they want to deceive you, they want to dupe you. Discernment will help you know what best deals to take. Do you understand? Who are those who are trustworthy? Who are those who are duplicitous? Those are the, that's how the, the gift of discernment works. You know, you'll be able to judge and determine what is being said and the source of what is being said. Praise the name of Jesus. So I hope you've seen the compendium of gifts, the plethora of gifts that we have available by the Spirit. It's it's enormous and it doesn't end here. There is much more. Do you understand? But at the end of the day, there will be places where each of us are going to function primarily and specially to help bless others. So desire the best gifts. That's what Paul said. Covet the best gifts. Desire them and be available for God to use. It's one thing for you to desire. If you're not ready and saying, Lord, I want to take the step to walk in this gift, then you're not available. You're not actually available. Availability means you're taking the step of faith to walk in the gifts of the Spirit. So um, we really don't have time. I really wish we had more time to... Oh, I wish we had more time to to do that, but we'll do it in a few minutes anyways, um, but I want you to desire the best gifts, if it's to have a word of knowledge, I, I, I promise you, see, as Paul encouraged the people to prophesy, I would encourage you as well to prophesy, even as much as you speak in tongues, learn to be able to prophesy, to give a word to someone, um, desire word of knowledge and wisdom, please, very powerful too. You'll get to know things about people before they even know. I remember one time when my pastor used it on me. <laughs> ah, there were some things I was trying to hide uh, from him. Things that were bothering me, but I didn't want to say it. And he, as we were just having a casual conversation, he just said, Hmm, Pastor Kenneth. 
so 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 very apt very spot on very simple and it changed everything that alone changed everything about that season i was going through so you need to be very sensitive trust me the more you desire in the place of prayer this gives the more you, you find them happening take the chance to experiment not experiment practice let me use the word practice experiment is where you're trying to determine the outcome you're not sure of the outcome but this is something else you're going to practicalize the gift you're going to flow in the things of the spirit much more for every one of you you're going to reach out to people you're going to pray for them you're going to share a word of knowledge you're going to share a word of prophecy you're going to heal people this period people who are going to, probably going to be sick you will lay hands on them they will recover your faith will be so aggravated you'll be able to speak to people um, and you'll be able to encourage them powerfully you'll be able to break down truths and teach you know and, and, and much more by the spirit of god amen are you ready are you ready i want us to pray one prayer just one prayer and you're going to say lord i'm here again ready to be used by you ready and available to be used by you in the name of jesus lord i am ready ready and available to be used by you to every measure to 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 extreme measures to be used by you daily lord to be used by you in every way in the name of jesus i am ready jesus i am ready jesus i am available i desire to walk in the gifts of the spirit begin to mention the gift that you want to walk in especially that you want to see the lord use you very strongly even in the body of christ even to this dying world begin to say it it was to be an evangelist to speak the gospel trust me the, the gifts of the spirit are not about skill they're not about past experience it's about desire and, and all that the spirit can make you do in his name Oh, this is not about skill. This is not about your own personal experience and your accolades. This is not about that. It's the spirit that distributes these gifts as he wills. Oh, Lord, I am ready. I am available for you. I will bless people. I will encourage. I will edify. I will bring comfort in the name of Jesus. In this way, I will show love to the body of Christ, to strangers in the body and people I'm familiar with. As long as they are called by the name of Jesus, I will be of help. I will minister to their needs. Even if it is the gift of generosity, I will be generous. I will meet the material needs of people. I will meet financial needs. If it is in showing mercy, I will do so in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I am available. I am available. Thank you, Jesus. In the next one minute, we're going to pray in the Spirit right now. And I want you to desire to interpret tongues. For some of you, as you are praying, you're going to get some words for people. You can drop it in the comment section. And what we'll do is we'll receive and we'll judge the word that has gone forth. And we'll be blessed by it. Come on, begin to pray in the, in, in, in the Spirit right now. Pray in tongues. Pray in tongues. Desire to interpret. If you get a word of prophecy... A word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. If you get these and you're prompted, just write it. Just type it. Bless someone tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The time is not short enough. There's someone that needs help. There's someone that has their needs that, that, that needs to be met. And we're going to meet it tonight. Come on. Come on. Are you are you are you praying? Are you ready to flow in the things of the Spirit? Are you ready to use this gift to help someone tonight? 
Are you ready to use this gift to help someone tonight? It might not be organized words, well-organized, well-written words. But sage anyways, it's the information that matters. It's the information that matters. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Perhaps you get a word for someone who might not even be online here. Um, as you maybe their name popped up. Please don't ever neglect when a name pops up in your head and in your spirit. Don't ever ignore it. Act on it. Even if it's to just message the person. Ah, I just wanted to check in on you. Once you respond, you realize that the spirit prompts the rest of it. Once you respond by reaching out. You find out that more information will come and you will just know things. You just ask questions. I'm sorry to ask, but is this true? And if by mistake you make a mistake and you're not correct, maybe you, you laggled in quotes and it's not correct, it's fine. Be willing to make mistakes. At the end of the day, be willing to make mistakes than you are willing to be disobedient. If the Lord says, Speak to this person, you, you must be more willing to make a mistake than to be disobedient. That's more important. But I tell you, when you step out in faith, the more you do it, the more accurate you become. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord told me that there are some people right now who are listening to me. About I saw about five, six people. Three girls, uh, two boys, thereabouts. Um, that I hear your, your families are going through some very tough times. This is a period where the, the, um, some of your parents are in business, but some also have a job. But because of this period that has happened, there has not been funds. And this is unique because um, you've experienced a, a previous season of lack, even before the pandemic. There were a lot of financial pressures. The Lord is telling me now that you are coming out of it. In the name of Jesus, there are new ideas that will come out. And with the ideas will come new opportunities. Your parents, just tell your parents, whoever they are, please, this is a special word. Um, it, I hope it's it cuts across these five people. If not, the Lord will probably give me more specific instructions. But tell them to be sensitive about this period. For there will be new ideas coupled with new opportunities that they will venture into. And that financial instability becomes a thing of the past. For the Lord will use that as a means to provide their needs. And they will have several helpers, says the Spirit of the Lord. There will be helpers who will come to bear them up with these opportunities. And bring an inward for which God will use to provide. Simply put, God will provide for your family. 
and the instability that they have, they've experienced financially is a thing of the past, says the Spirit of the Lord. Much like this is specific for you. Much more. This period had been even tougher before the pandemic. There was there was some financial strain to the family. The Lord is bringing you out of it, bringing you out of it day by day. In the name of Jesus, new ideas, new opportunities, says the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. I just declare to anyone who is sick in their bodies, be healed right now. Receive the, the power of the Lord right now to heal your body. You are healed from the crown of your head to the sole of your feet. You are healed by the power of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now you are healed. You are healed. You can lay your hands on yourself. And perhaps you have a family member or a friend that you need to pray for right after this Bible study. Go immediately and pray for them. Never forget that the power of God knows no distance. We are a people of faith and a people of power. Hallelujah. Driven by love. We are people of power and the people of faith. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. Amen. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.